Good morning, Highland. How are you? It's so good to be with you guys. I am Richard Beck. And I'm Jana Beck. We're married. I don't we know why I said that. 30 years, <laughs> we, we think it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good to be with you. Um, I'm going to jump right into our text. We're going to be in John chapter 6. And John chapter 6, uh, it begins with something really exciting. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And obviously that creates a ton of energy and excitement around this ministry. And the crowds are surging. The energy is peaking. The enthusiasm is electric. And then Jesus does something really, like, strange. Like, at the, at the peak of his popularity... He, he walks away. He withdraws from the crowd, escapes, goes across the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowd. And they, they get up the next day, they look for him, they assume he's on the other side of the lake, they cross over to find him, and there they find him, and then Jesus does something that seems like the very opposite of what you would do for church growth. He says some intentionally hard things. So in John chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to be jumping around if you're trying to follow me, but I'm going to start off in verse 25. So when the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, I truly, I say to you, you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Like, that's why you're here. And then Jesus says, after the Jews murmured against him in verse 41, he said he was, they murmured because he said, I'm the bread of life which comes down out of heaven. Jesus goes further in verse 51 and says, Yes, I am the, the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, then things get weird. Okay, they get weird at that point. The Jews then disputing amongst themselves, they say, Well, how can this man... Give us his flesh to eat. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Because the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, and he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And I can imagine that crowd was getting really antsy at that point. And so they say in verse 60, many of the disciples, when they, when they heard this, they said, and I agree, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Verse 66, and so after this, uh, many of his disciples, they drew back. 
and they no longer went around with him. And then Jesus turns to those who remain. He turns to the twelve and he says, Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm sure it was a really weird moment for Peter. Like just yesterday, just yesterday, the church parking lot was full. There was not a seat in the auditorium. You had to get there early, right? There was energy. There was momentum. There was a, there was a crowd. It was surging. He was a part of something huge. You could just imagine him in the middle of that, that excitement saying, this is it. Like, this is, we are on our way. We are, we are moving forward. This, this is climaxing. And, and we are on the front wave of the revival that is breaking out here in our time and place. And then, 24 hours later, he's standing around with a small group, looking around awkwardly. People are no longer there. You know, it's like, where are the Smiths? Has anybody seen them in a while? And suddenly, this thing that, that seems so exciting, so vibrant, so alive, is now small and weird and really hard and they look around at just a few remaining people and go like what like what happened to us now I don't know if I'm describing anything that you're remotely familiar with here does this sound familiar to anybody they find themselves looking around an auditorium and going like where is everybody and this thing that was so fun and life-giving is like weird and hard and awkward. And we're sitting here right there with Peter. And, and I, and I kind of wonder, like, well, why did Jesus do this? Because he, he, he very intentionally kind of made it difficult. This is a hard thing. And he made it hard. And this is my hunch. My hunch is he knows where he's going, right? He knows exactly where he's headed. And he kind of needs to know who's in. Who is all in. Because the crowd that had surrounded him were there. He said, you're there because you, you know, it's free fish. <laughs> free fish and loaves. Like, who isn't excited about that? Okay, you can draw a crowd with free food. You can get some excitement going. But he kind of wants to know, like, who's really in? Like, who, who are my people? Who's going to go to the cross with me? Because he does say, right, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I think Evan and Jill were really on point today. It's, yes, it's about the body of Christ. But it's also the sense that you and I are what? The body of Christ. That this thing that we call church is hard sometimes. It is sacrificial. It, it is difficult. It, it doesn't, at some point, it pinches down. And it, it's not going to kind of attract a big crowd. Because at some point, the price tag goes up. 
And the question is asked, are you going to leave too? And the good news of this room, of the people to your right and to your left, is this today. You're all in. You are sitting here in the hard, awkward, strange time. And you're here because you feel like Peter. We don't got any other options, right? We are here because this isn't fun. It hasn't been fun for a while. We are here because, Jesus, you have the words to eternal life. This group might be a little smaller, but I think that is exactly what Jesus is after in John 6. He wants to know who's got my back. Who's got your back? Who is the body of Christ? And when I look around this room, it's an exciting space because you are the ones that stood with Peter and said, we're here. We're showing up. We're all in. So when the world got weird and we couldn't come to church for a while, that was just weird. That's kind of the theme of today, you know? Like, what do we do? And I'm so thankful for the Highland staff bringing you guys, bringing all of this to us in our homes. And those of uh, you that are at your home today, hi, Mama and Daddy. They're still thankful for you bringing it to their homes. But that was one of the things that was different and it, it, it made us have to kind of watch alone. But after the alone set in, I found out that there were some things that I wasn't willing to let go of. And one of them was communion. I'll bet you guys may have some interesting stories about communion during the time of our separation. Mine center around our family. We were empty nesters. But we were delightfully interrupted by our son coming home from the dorm to live in his room again during that time. And it was very sweet for me. I don't know how sweet it was for him, but it was very sweet for me. And uh, that was Aiden. And Aiden likes to cook. And Aiden decided that he wanted to make Miss Suzetta's communion bread. Do you all know what I'm talking about? If you don't, see me after. Very simple recipe. The only problem was, for some reason, the world sold out of flour. Did you remember that? Like, we're trying to, to make Miss Suzetta's communion bread, and there were, these shelves were empty. And I finally found this one box of this really weird, like, white swan baking flour or something, and it looked like it's in a cereal box. And it's still in our pantry, because I used it, but I just can't get rid of that box because it's so sweet, okay? Aiden made that, and we had communion in our living room. And we found out that there was someone who loved that communion bread more than any of us, and it was our dog. (laughs) Our dog, Bandit, went insane. Every time we brought out the little cup of grape juice in the plate, he'd start, you know, it was like it was steak or something. Anyway, that, we always look forward to He's that. He's the most Christian dog. The most that we've Christian seen. dog in all of the very, world. Very faithful. 
And he had been tongued to the bathtub before, so it's all good. So I'm telling you, we realized something was missing, and it was my parents. And so we got my parents to start coming, and we sat far away from each other, and, but we were all in the same room. And my, my mom would pray, and my dad would pray, and I haven't heard that in a long time, you know? And I heard my son pray, and I got to hear Richard pray, and I would pray, and he had us read uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and a gospel and a psalm, and it kind of, we've developed this little rhythm, and it was precious. I was not willing to let go of that. And in the absence of community, um, I had uh, a woman from church reached out to me. We were acquaintances, but she was feeling, she was feeling the separation uh, hard from community. And she invited a couple of us to, to just think about maybe meeting in somebody's backyard once a week. And then she's like, you know, think of somebody else that you might think needs to come. And there got to be a group of about eight or nine of us that would meet once a week in each other's backyards. And it got challenging when it got cold, but we still, we still did that. And we prayed, we, we read uh, books and talked about Christian living during a pandemic, parenting during a pandemic. And that became really precious. And I remember a communion that I had with those ladies one night. It was, it was like corn chips and an apple. Because y'all, there was nothing at the store. You know, and it was one of the most dear, dear times. And it's hard to find those people again because we've gone back to our regular lives. But those were the women who started taking food to my mom and dad on Monday nights when they couldn't get out. And I love that. We weren't willing to let go of the community of church. There are people in this room who could not let go of this. Guess who they are? You. We are here. Think of things you couldn't let go of and recognize that this is one of them because you are in a chair today. I think one of the powerful things during the season, listen, it's, it's been a sad season. Um, we do look around a space and kind of go like, hey, where, where, are, where are the Smiths? But one of the beauties of this season is, is that we found these little spaces where the people to our right and left were like, this thing is not optional for us. Like we found the people like this, this, fa this family is vital. It's not optional. It's, it's, not a, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's not a fashion accessory. This, you are family and you don't let that go. And when we found each other, like, are you in? Cause I'm in. And you're like, yeah, I'm in too. And there might be two or three of you, but you were in. And they are the people, as Janice said, that are in this space. That was the beautiful season when you kind of realize, like, I, I don't think I can just kind of decide that this isn't a part of my life anymore. Lot, some people did. But you didn't. Jan and I, are, uh, we've, we've traveled around for the like, last 10 years, uh, speaking at lots of different churches. And as I've been in those churches, we've, we've tried to kind of diagnose, like, what, what's going on in our churches because Christianity has been on a slow decline uh, in America for quite some time. And COVID, I think, accelerated that. 
became a lot harder. And, and so trends that we thought would take 10, 20 years happened within two years of trends did. And as we, as we pondered with church leaders about what, what's going on in American churches, I think I, I put my finger on, on what I think is like the central problem with the American church. The, 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 the toxic root of it all, the kind of the poison that seeps in. And, and here it is. This is it. This is my analysis of what's wrong with the American church. Um, we like it. That's the problem. We like it. What I mean is, what attracts you to a church? Why do you, why do you pick a church? Why? We're consumers. So we, we, we literally call it what? Church shopping. We shop around, and we go to this church, and we're like, I like, I like this preacher. I like it. Or the kids come to the youth group. They, they like the youth group. They like it. Found a Bible class. Like it. You know, found a praise experience. Like, I like it. I, I like it. And that's our problem. Y'all see Why? Because when liking the church is the glue, well, what binds us together is liking it, then that is a house of cards. That's a very fragile thing, right? Because what happens then when maybe you don't like it anymore? I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like the new preacher. I don't know if I like the drum. I don't know if I like, you know, going to church in a mask. Because that's one thing we've learned during the last two years is nobody likes going to church anymore. We haven't liked it for a while. You guys, how many of you guys have liked going to church in a mask? I tell you, you know what has filled my heart with joy over the last two years is looking at an elder's agenda and seeing a conversation about uh, mask policies. Oh, nothing filled my heart with so much joy to go, oh, we get to talk about mask policies. And, and because we know the church loves the emails about the mask policies, like nobody's been happy with any of this. But the people in this room, you're not here because you've liked it. Right? I mean, that, the mask policy, like, whatever, whatever. You know, I, I'll do what I need to do. Because the far side of this is you and me. And if I got to put on a mask, I'll put on a mask. If I got to talk about it some more, it's a hard, difficult season. We don't agree on it. But here's the thing is, it doesn't matter. That is a distraction to why we're here, which is you and me and the Lord of all things, that yes, this got really hard. And for a lot, everybody in the room, you're like, I don't care. I don't care how hard it gets. I'm in. I'm totally in. And so that is the good news. The good news, Highland, I'll say it plainly. The good news today is that you don't like being here. And the reason why that's good news is because it's more essential than that. It's more essential than that, than me liking this. This is heart 
and bone and soul. And so I don't know about you, but it's time to get over the awkwardness of who's not here and to look at the people in the room and say, hey, we're in. You got my back. I got your back. We were not willing to let it go. We're here. And the Lord is going to do some great things with us. I think that's what Jesus was doing in John 6. He wanted to know. And Highland, now we know. Look at the faces in the room. We know who the Lord has prepared for his work. It's us. Amen. Amen, honey. There you go. I don't often get to do that on a mic. I'll say amen from around here, but it's kind of fun doing it that way. Amen, because this is us. This is us. I say that phrase at my work. I am a middle school and high school theater teacher at Abilene Christian School. There are some kids out here who are, ha I have had you, I have you now, love you. So I say, oh, there's a lot of you out there today. Okay. If you have ever been in a play with me, you know that Mrs. Beck, on the very first day of rehearsals, says, guys, we are beginning something special here. This is a group of people for a season of time that are going to create something that didn't exist before. And for a few weeks, it's this sacred spot. And it's just us, and we're making this. And they're looking at me. I love the look on their faces when I say those words. Keeps me coming back to work, all right? Then there's a second talk. It's the opening night of the show. We're backstage and we're in our circle. And I'm like, guys, this is it. We're bringing the thing that we have been creating with just us. We're bringing it to the people who are going to come watch. And they're going to get to experience the life and the, the joy and the story of what we've been making. But we're going to experience it together in this moment in time. And it is a precious sacred moment, and I love it. And when it's over, we're all kind of, there's kind of that letdown, you know? If you have a kid in theater and they're kind of sad the day after the show, it's okay. That's how it's supposed to happen, okay? But guys, I'm, give, I'm giving my talk. Mrs. Beck is here. This is us. There's a special moment in time, and it's just these people, and we're doing something together that's never happened before. And with the power of God and the hand of God on us, things are going to happen. And I am so excited that you're in that chair this morning because this is it. This is who's in. This is who's doing it. And I'm so excited to find out what it's going to be. I know it's going to be good because God doesn't let us down. I'm going to close this out in a prayer. God, thank you for never leaving. Thank you for your constancy. I ask you to pour your might 
in your peace, in your power, in your joy, on these, your people. Give us the patience with each other that we need to stick through those moments that we don't like, to get to the real heart of what matters. We want to be like you so badly. Please help this moment today bring us closer to that goal. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>